points in and around spiritual warfare. Now, we do have some people here, part of our church, who have been alive um, during times of, of war. We've got some in, in more recent history, in the last few, few decades, where we as a nation have stepped in to, to assist, where we've gone in to, to help. And, and our soldiers, those that have chosen that this is what they want to do, they want to serve their country in this way, they've, they've gone and, they, and they've served and, and many lost their lives. And I mention a few of those we've got uh, that came to, to mind in the last couple of days. We had the, the war in Iraq. In Iraq. It was the Gulf War, um, the war in Af Afghanistan, and I mentioned East Timor, and the Vietnamese War, just getting a little further back. And then we've had some other, other wars which have been on a, on a world scale. They, they, these are the ones that have been labelled the world wars. And in, in those cases, there were, there were very few nations that were, were unaffected by what took on what went, took place. And in a lot of those cases, people didn't necessarily have a choice whether they, they went to fight. It was, our nation is at war, and so we need you to come and fight. So if, in a world war, if your nation is, is at war, then you are at war. You are at war. And there may be some people who are not necessarily out on the, the battlefront and, and some who, who might in some ways do normal jobs and serve in, in different practical ways and they might even try to live a normal life. But the reality is that when war is going on, things are not the same. And it's not possible just to bury your head in the sand and go, well, I'm just going to do my career thing. I've been blessed with this and I'm just going to ignore what is going on because the reality is that at times of war, the nation is not the same. The resources don't flow as freely necessarily. There are things that are different when a nation is at war. The economies can be, can be stifled and there is the ongoing risk of invasion. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about Hobart, Hobart itself has, has a number of batteries that were, were built. And I think they were back in the 1800s, so you know, well before what we call our world wars. And they were, were established as a defence against the potential invasion because Hobart served as a, as a key trade route for international ships and they could come and they could go and they could, they could be restocked. And there was always this concern that because of, of, of the strategic position that Hobart was in, that it could be invaded by enemy warships. Now, as far as I know, none of those batteries were actually used in war, but they've only really been used for ceremonial purposes. But they were built there by people of vision and who, who wanted to defend this city of Hobart because they knew that, that this, was, this place could be targeted. And so the challenge that the Lord has has given me, he's convicted me, I will say it's more than a challenge, he's convicted me, is that, that for me as a, as a Christian, as a, a husband, as a father, as someone of influence, and we all have, have various levels of influence, that I have not spent my time always out on the battlefront when I should be. And that I have, have had seasons when I've tried to work my normal job whilst there's war going on. Now, that's not to say I've been 
backslidden and compromised. You know, I've been doing stuff, doing spiritual things even, good things. Years ago when I heard the term spiritual warfare, it made me think of the elite. And, and we all know those ones that we would label as the prayer warriors. We have some in our, our church. I'm married to one, in fact. And these are the green berets of the spiritual. And, but we can think of, of spiritual warfare that, that that sounds like the sort of thing that you, that's when you call in the green berets. That's when you call in the, the elite that have been trained especially for this task. But I've realised that this is not the case. We are all involved in spiritual warfare, whether we like it or not. As I mentioned before, if your nation is at war, then you are at war. Would you tell someone nearby, you are at war? I am at war. Now, would you say to that same person, so what does that require of you? At the time that we decided that we wanted to follow Jesus, we joined a kingdom. We joined a nation. And this, this nation, this kingdom, is at war. At that time, we, we had a target that went on our back. Because when you're at war, there are allies and there are enemies. Not everyone is your friend. So I have been convicted that if there is a war going on, and there is a war going on, we cannot just try to get by and ignore this war. We need to first of all acknowledge there is a war. So are we in agreement today? Yeah. We're on the same page? Yeah. There is a war, okay. And as part of this, God has an expectation that we would do our part. We need to be aware, we need to be on watch, and we need to be on duty. So a question, inviting a response. What happens when people are not on watch, when people are not on guard? The enemy invades. The enemy invades. Any other thoughts? Yep, we're vulnerable. Things come in that shouldn't be there. We lose ground. This is great. I don't have to say much at all. People get hurt. That's right. And these are some of the things I've got here. I've said we become vulnerable. Those that we love become more vulnerable as well. So we're not just watching for ourselves, are we? But we're watching for those that we love. The enemy takes territory that he didn't have previously. We lose ground. We lose influence. Now, for me personally... This first half of this year has been a, had been a very challenging year. There were great things happening, but there were some really hard aspects to this year as well. But we can't just sit there and just do the, well, God's got this in hand, when we have a responsibility before God in prayer and in warfare as well. And I think that, that maybe some of the church has lost the art of war. Would that be a fair statement that maybe we've lost the, the art of war? 
We can't just be blown around by adversity because we need to stand and we need to fight. We have responsibility before the Lord. And I was reflecting on some scriptures, and these are great scriptures where, where we read where the battle belongs to the Lord. We love it. We sing songs about it. It's awesome. But we can claim this but not actually do anything. And we need to remember that, that each of these promises came from, as a result of seeking the Lord. Not from assumption on what has gone on in the past, but specifically seeking, seeking the Lord. But then there is a need to be ready because it wasn't a case of just doing nothing because in a lot of times when the battle belonged to the Lord, when, when he said, I've got this at hand, I'm going to deliver these people, there was still a requirement of them that they go to the battlefront, that they go, go down and that they fight and there was a need to take the land. For Israel, when they were going to see the walls come down, they had to march. They had to lift their voice. They had to be obedient. And when the walls came down, there was still more to be done, wasn't there? They had to go in and they had to take the land. For the Israelites taking their, their promised land, there weren't welcome home banners up on the fence saying, here, come on in and this is now yours. They had to take that land. The promise had been given that it was theirs for the taking, but they had to take the land. It wasn't deserted. It wasn't just left for them. And when we think of King David, and when he prayed, should I go up? Now, he did this on a number of occasions. Again, no assumption. Should I go up? And God would say, yes, go up. And he might say, the battle is mine, or I'm going to deliver them into your hands. And he, he followed God's instruction on how this particular battle needed to be won. And when the time came, his people were there on the front, ready to fight. Now, at the end of, uh, we were talking about this at Life Group the other night, but at the end of World War II, after all of the bombs had been dropped and, and the Japanese had, had surrendered, the Allied troops, they, they, they'd won. But amongst all, all throughout the Pacific Islands, even though the war had been won, this was some of the most brutal times. Because on the, on the islands, the Japanese continued in guerrilla warfare, and the deaths were just as brutal. The fights were just as, as horrific even though the war had been won, but there were battles that were still going on and many people lost their lives. And this is how it is with us too. We are called to war. We know that the battle ha has been won through the cross of Christ, but there are ongoing battles. There is warfare that is, that is going on and we need to be on, on watch Let's, would you read with me from Ephesians 16? Six. I added a one there. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. And it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
And therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, in, in battle, in, in war, we hear the concept about fronts, about the battle front. And sometimes in war, there are multiple fronts, multiple faces where, where war is, is taking place. And when there are multiple fronts, this is actually there, the need for, for strategy and care is even greater because your resources need to be divided and, and allocated based upon, upon the, the fronts. And uh, many say that this is part of the reason of, of, of Hitler's defeat in the war because he, was, he, he divided his, his armies. There were other things going on as well, but he divided his armies and were, were fighting multiple and significant enemies. And he had to he, divide his resources. So on multiple fronts, we have limited resources to fight with. And we... As Christians, we have multiple fronts that we need to fight on. And so we need to be strategic. We need to not just go in, go in blind. It isn't just a numbers game. I was chatting uh, with an ex-army guy recently, and he said that when he signed up for, for the army... He said on the first day, the, the person who was over him, commander, whatever he may have been, he, he said this thing to the new recruits and he said, there are three things that you need to learn if we're going to win in war. And if you're taking notes, you can, you can take these down. He said, number one, you need to know your enemy. You get that one? Number two, you need to know your enemy. I'll wait until you get that one down. <laughs> and number three, you need to know your enemy. Now, we need to know our enemy. We need to know what are, how many troops does he have. We need to know what are his strategies. How has he gone about things in the past? We need to know what, what equipment do they have. And in war, you know, have they got tanks? Have they got fighter planes? What's their, their strength on the water? What's their strength in the, in the air? What sort of ammunition and what sort of bombs do they have? What is the range of the equipment that they have? And even another one is, and what does this land look like that we're going to be fighting on? What is the landscape like that we're going to be fighting on? Paul says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he says that we need to be alert and of sober mind. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what's Paul doing? He is making known the ways of the enemy. He's saying this is, this is how our enemy goes about things. He prowls around. He's looking for those that he, that he can pick off. Because if we know the strategies of the enemy, if we know how, how he, he works, and he's got, this isn't just the only way that the devil works, but if we know how he does things, then we can be better prepared, can't we? And Paul wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know our enemy. He wants us to know how he thinks, what his strategies are, so that we, we don't just defend, but that we can take ground. Because that's even better, isn't it, in... In war, we don't want to just be defenders. We want to take ground. Anybody else here want to take ground this morning? Yep, great. 
I'll keep going. So I want to share about, about three fronts today. But first of all, I want to say that one of those fronts is not people. People are not a battlefront. Okay? We are not battling against people. And unfortunately, in the complexity of, of many of our struggles, people are tied up in that. And it can be really hard to see the difference. But we need to know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do wrestle, but it isn't against flesh and blood. We read that earlier in Ephesians 6. So they are not the battlefront. So I want to share on three fronts today. So the first one, we have this war on three fronts. And I'm reading from Romans 8, 5 to 7. We battle with the flesh. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. We battle with the flesh. In Romans 8 it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God or, or at war. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So we have one battlefront, which is the flesh. And what is the strategy of the flesh? It is domination. It is influence. It wants to be part of everything. It wants in on, on everything. It wants to own everything. It wants to be fed, not just food, but stuff. It likes stuff. And what does that do when we feed it? It makes it strong. It wants to come first. It wants attention. It wants whatever resources it can get a hold of so that it can become stronger. That's how the flesh works. That's how it works in our bodies. But we know that, that we have this battle, and it isn't just with the, the skin and the whatever's hanging off this frame, but it's, it's the, the flesh, that nature, the flesh nature that we battle with. So what is the best strategy when we're battling on this front? Well, I'll, I'll share one thing that commonly used in war when there are significant strongholds is people would block up the resources and they would stop the water supply going into an area. They would block up the trade routes so that the things couldn't come in and out. And that, that place might be okay for a while, but after, t after a time, when those resources start to become depleted in that er area, that enemy will become weaker. And ultimately, they'll come to a point where they'll either surrender or they'll die. And we read that in, in Romans 8, that there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul says, live according to the spirit. If we feed the spirit, it will become stronger. If we feed the flesh, it will become stronger. But in the same way, if we would starve the flesh, it will weaken and eventually it's going to die. A little bit later on in Romans 8, so from 12 to 13, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There you go. So if you feed the flesh, you will die. That's, there, there it is, right there. But if you live, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. When our flesh is put to death, 
we can enjoy freedom living according to the Spirit. But if we keep the flesh alive, we are going to continually have this tussle, this, this war going on inside of us, this continual battle. And it's really easy to keep the flesh alive. It's like a little pet that we just like to give a bit of something every, every now and then, but we keep it going. Now, I'm not saying you should be really bad to your pets today, okay? But Paul used graphic words that we, we need to, to kill the flesh. Put it to death. And he, he used such strong words intentionally because he wanted us to get how, how brutal we need to be. So one way some people use is, is through fasting. And that's a great way to deal with the flesh. That might be a strategy that God gives you, but in, in looking at, okay, what are the supply chains? What are the things that are, that are going on here with the flesh? How does my flesh get strong? And we need to decide, well, I'm going I'm to deal with that. I'm going to stop that up. I'm not going to let that water supply come in, let that trade go on anymore. And so there's a question for us today. If we know we're having a battle on this front, what do we need to do? What do we need to stop up? What do we need to plug up? What wells do we need to fill with rocks and things so that, that they can't, our flesh can't draw from them, that it can't be strong anymore? Are there sins that we need to deal with? Do we have attitudes? Are there things that are influencing us that we need to say, okay, no more? And just like it is when, when they would block up the resources to a, to a town or a city, things don't change overnight necessarily because that, that thing's got some reserves. So don't be surprised if you, sort of, if you still find that there's a battle going on because it takes a while for the enemy to become weaker. We can go get by a, a day without, without food and even a couple of days if, if need be. It affects each of us differently, but... But we, we've got reserves. I know I've got more reserves than I'd, I'd like sometimes, but we have, we have reserves in us, you know. Okay, the second front that I want to talk about, and I'm sorry this may not be... I know it's reasonably clear up there. So the second one is the world. We have a battle against the world. Is that right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So here's the first stage. We're getting dealing with the body. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So we talked a bit about, about the flesh, and I wanted to highlight, you know, what are the strategies of... Of this, on this front that the enemy uses and what do we need, what can we do strategically to win in that area. The main strategy of the world is to offer treaty. To offer trade. I will give you this if you give me that. And it packages it all up in this thing that it wants to call peace. And it can sound really attractive at times. Is that right? Yeah. We all like peace. We all like people 
saying good things of us or not saying bad things of us. And, and the world is very good at, at packaging up all, all of this, this idea of this trade as being good and being right and rational and, and fair and loving and respectful. And it will offer you that as a package and say, can't we make a, a treaty here? The world is also very good presenting any alternative option as being wrong and hateful and unloving. And don't we see that at the moment? So why does the world do this? Why, why do they, does the world strategize in this way? It says in, in Romans 12, we read it, that it wants you to be conformed. It wants you to be conformed to the pattern of the world. To the point where maybe people wouldn't even know the difference anymore. That's really what being conformed is like. That people wouldn't know the difference between those that follow the Lord and those that are in the world. And many, many Christians have fallen into this trap in an effort to make peace. They have made treaties. They have, they have sold out. But what the world packages up as, as being this fair trade, you are not getting anything, I can tell you. They will just take and take and take. And ultimately, you know what the world wants to take from you? It wants to take your freedom away. The world wants to turn you into a spiritual POW. Locked up with minimal rations just to keep you sustained. A pretty humiliating place. Memory of the past, but locked up and not able to fight anymore. The good news is that Jesus said that he came to set at liberty the captives. So I want to encourage you that you do not need to remain a captive, that there is a way out. So what is the best strategy when dealing with the world? You're with me this morning? Yep, great. So when the world wants our attention, it wants, it, it wants us to look at it. It wants us to, to spend time considering these things because the more we we think about it the more we we look at it and analyze it and and are fed the lies that it would give us the alluring position that that it gives its logic it appeals to different aspects of us we start to think about its claims we can start to question things and the world knows that that while it has our attention it has that ongoing influence in, in us with the potential to change our ideas and our thinking. So the world wants your attention. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. and he, Not that God would take us out of the world, so we, we're not out, I'm sorry, but he would protect us from the evil one, that whilst we are in the world, that we would not be of the world. So the answer in this is not to bury our heads in the sand because if your commander of the troops came and said, okay, there's a war going on, guys, and they're trying, they're trying to make a treaty with us, let's just bury our heads in the sand, that would be dumb. So we can't, we can't do that. So yes, we're not going to be hearing the, the, you know, the lies of the, the enemy and what they're trying to sell us, but we can resist and say, no, I don't want to buy in on this. I will not put my name to this. I do not want to buy into this treaty and, and sell off my, my freedom. 
And just recently I've read a couple of stories, one about Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, and the amazing life that that, that that man lived and spent time in, uh, in prison. And just recently read uh, the story of Louis, uh, Louis Zamperini. Um, the movie that came out was Unbroken, that um, came to main, mainstream. And an amazing man who, who gave his life to the, to the Lord in, in the later stage of that. But incredible, you know, this 46 days that he spent on a, on a raft with no resources and just uh, amazing things. And then the horrific things that happened while he was a POW, um, and not just, sorry, wasn't even a POW, he didn't make it to the POW, he went to the unregistered area. That didn't, where they didn't have to abide by all of the rules of um, international agreements of what, how people would be treated. There you go, get hold of that one. But, you know, they, they tried to offer things to, the, to these guys, but they wouldn't sell out. So I want to say that the world wants to make a treaty with you, it wants to make a treaty with the church. And it can be really tempting, but ultimately it is about confirmation. But what did the scripture say? It says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the way that our minds are renewed is what is our attention on? What do we allow to feed us? Are we going to allow the world systems to feed us? Because it will change our minds. I can, I can assure you. Or will we let the, the, the Lord be our feeder? Will we spend time with, with people? Now, this isn't about insulation and, and not engaging at all with the world. You are a part of the world, and you're going to have to deal with it. But what are we allowing to feed us? So that's the second front. The third front that I want to talk about is about Satan and his demons. Now, that didn't come first, funnily enough. We need to acknowledge the reality of this realm. It is, it is a real area. The devil is your personal enemy, and while God has a plan for you, for blessing, for good, I can assure you that the enemy has a plan for you as well. And it is not for blessing and for good. He wants to destroy you and destroy everything that you love. What are his strategies? John 10.10 10 says that the enemy is like a thief. He comes to rob, to kill and destroy. If you see that around you at all, that sounds like the work of the enemy, doesn't it? Revelation 12.10 says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And 2 Corinthians 11.14. Now I've just handpicked a few scriptures. I could have done quite a few there. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan makes himself to appear like an angel of light. So he is a liar, he is a thief, he hurls insults and hatred towards the followers of Jesus. He tries to make himself out to look good, but all he wants to do is to rob and to kill and destroy you and those that you love. Not someone you want to hang around with. The devil wants to overwhelm us. He wants to tempt us. He wants to lead us into compromise. And if our flesh is not dead, 
He's got plenty to work with. We're more susceptible if the flesh is not dead. So how do we respond? So I'll give you two strategies for this one. Resist the devil and guard your heart. Resist the devil and guard your heart. James 4.7 says, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we, we need to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But there is more to it than that. We have to look at this in its complete context that we also need to choose righteous living. We may not walk perfectly, but we, we do have this wonderful opportunity to keep short accounts with the Lord and choose righteousness. So let's read just a few more verses from James 4. And I'm coming to a close. James 4, I'll go from verse 7. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. So this gives us a more complete picture because if we are not walking in, in righteousness, then you can submit and humble and resist all you like, but the devil will not flee from you. We need to live a life that is righteous. Now, that isn't perfection. We're, not, we're still works in progress, so, so hear me in, in that. And here's another call to righteous living. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27 says, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. So this is saying that through, through our sin, through our choices, through the way that we respond to others, we can in fact open the door and say, here you go devil, come on in. So we need to guard our heart. We need to protect ourselves. If we are in sin, and sin is sin, we need to deal with sin. Once the door is open, the enemy just wants to take more ground and lead to more compromise and more and more. And that's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we need both of those strategies. Resist the devil Guard our heart. Let me finish with just one more scripture, if I can invite the music team to come. Second Corinthians ten three to five says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, and we've talked about some of our weapons this morning, they are not carnal." But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so we've talked this morning about some of the weapons. It's the weapons of our warfare. So I want to just finish with this concept as well about casting down imaginations. Now this ties in with all of them. The world wants to influence our imagination. Our flesh wants to tie our imagination into into it as well. And the devil also wants to shape our imagination. And I want to tell you the imagination is a powerful thing. And I have seen in my, my life how destructive the imagination can be. I speak honestly with you of how destructive the imagination can be. And we need to, to take thought, our thoughts into captive for the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we want to first acknowledge that we are at war. And Lord, that you, we've, we've signed up for this, Lord. We've not come in by default. That we have willingly said we want to follow Jesus and all that that means. Lord, I pray you would search our hearts, Lord, where we have been sitting on our hands. Where we've not been active on the war front. And Lord, whether that be the war against the systems of this world, Lord, but even where that is, those things that are attacking our families, attacking us, Lord, in areas of health, Lord, in areas of, that, are, that are debilitating our, our lives and our families, Lord, where we've not been at war. Lord, for some here today, I know that the voice of Goliath has boomed out over the fields in defiance of where we're at right now. But Lord, we, today we make the choice. Lord, we are in. This means war. Lord, we make the choice to, to enter in, Lord, not to leave it for the spiritually elite, Lord, because that's just a lie that the enemy would want to bring over his church, over the church, Lord, your church, Lord. But we want to, we'll take part, Lord. And so, Lord, where we battle against the flesh, help us to starve the flesh, Lord. Give us strategies, Lord God, of how we can stop things up. We want to block up everything that would make our flesh strong, Lord, that we would live more according to the Spirit. Lord, where we battle against the world, Lord, individually, in our workplaces, Lord, and, and for us as a church, Lord. Lord, we will not treat you with the enemy. We will not sell out. Lord, we will show love and care, but Lord, we do not want to sell out. And Lord, for those that are fighting against the, the enemy today, Lord, and Lord, we all do at different times. We choose not to believe the lies. We choose not to, to consume our, our, our thoughts and imaginations with those things that the enemy has plagued us with. 
these destructive thoughts. And Lord, we want to make a choice to walk in righteousness with a clear conscience before you, Lord, knowing that when we do so, that we can resist the enemy and he will flee from us. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are on the winning side. Lord, that all authority was given to Jesus and you pass that authority on to us, Lord, and say, go. Go. The command is there. Go. And Lord, we'll go. And Lord, we choose not to delegate our authority to the enemy because so often we've given him too much. But we will take this authority. We will exercise it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.